The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. All right, it's a Cooling Kevin Monday today. Uh, there was a lot of action. Um, hoops action, hockey action over the weekend. There were a couple of Washington football team-related stories. I mean, a lot of people think Curtis Samuel is going to be a target for Ron Rivera and company. We've got more on Brandon Sheriff today. There was the Dan Snyder, Adam Schefter thing. We're going to get to all of that, um, but... Uh, two things. One, I didn't do a Saturday podcast um, because the guests that I was going to have didn't materialize. It would have been a big heavyweight guest, and he promised me in the future we would do it. He's been on the radio show before. I'm not going to mention his name. He was in town. He's a big-time coach. Um, he's been on the radio show two or three times before when he's been in town before. Um, but I think we'll be able to get that done at some point down the road. Um, one of my favorite coaches, by the way. Uh, secondly, Cooley sent me a video right before we started recording this morning because he's been talking a lot about skiing and his daughter and son who have been on skis very early age. That was pretty impressive, that video you sent me of Sloan going down the mountain in front of you. By the way, the conditions look cold and snowy, but she is she's a natural. Four times in. She's ready to roll, dude. She's got she's moved past straight pizza. <laughs> the straight pizza stop. You know what I realized? To any anyone that's teaching skiing, yeah. now it's pizza and French fry. What's I know it was it, never pizza. I I didn't have ski lessons. I mean, my parents took me and taught me. It was we always called it snowplow. Oh, the pizza. Did you call it pizza? Yeah, pizza. I always remember it. Pizza. You just turn those skis in to slow it down and sort of the shape. You don't. Of the pizza you place. didn't call it pizza when you were. No, oh, you didn't learn to um, ski when you were a kid, did you? No, I did. I didn't ski as a kid, but I think when I. It's probably more of a my kids thing. Yeah, when they got lessons. That's probably true. I don't remember how I was taught. I think I just got on skis and said, let me see what happens. <laughs> but, but you know, it is one of those sports was... that if they if you learn at a super young age, that's you, the key. You learn fast. Yeah. She looks, I, yeah, she looks awesome. She is, she's doing great. She's it, it really is one of those sports where I really think you can end up spending a lot of time with your family. Um, God, what a beautiful chairlift, backdrop. But, 
the mountains. Yeah, it's cool, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, she wants to ride the chairlift by herself, but I'm not ready for that yet. She got to let that. You just, you know what? Let the chair do all the work. You know, yeah. Just, well, she she actually has to do some work because oh, she's got to she get up on it. Get up on because it. of her yeah. height. Yeah, and I don't want her falling off of it and stuff. So right. So you you sit there with your arm and just sit, sort of lift her up on it with you, right? Yeah, she's close. She gets like halfway. She could probably she'd probably get on herself, but. I don't know. That sucker gets high o- up over the ground. Yeah, it does. I'm just helicopter parent with that. Uh, well, you know what? I f- uh, first of all, there are a couple of things there. Number one, every once in a while, because of something that happens on the exit or maybe on the entrance, you can get delayed up there for a while. I wouldn't want my young daughter up there freezing or you know you know what's off. In she's not. It's not cold. It's just it looks it's cold. a long way up. It looks there. cold in this video. It it snowed. It, it wasn't. It we never felt cold. But I I hear you. I remember when the kids were young. I didn't want them on that chairlift up that high, without me on it. Yeah. No. I wonder. Like I'm sitting here thinking, if she's going a bunch, you know, maybe I told her maybe next year. Yeah. So, she had a little friend there, and she was really mad at me. You don't have a gon- uh, gondola ride up. On, at not least. at the place I was at. No, I don't at. think the other resort has one either. Okay. Um, no, the place I was at, the it's a little, little place. What's three the, lifts? But, two lifts. What's two French, lifts? What's French fry? Both of them together. Oh, got it. Oh yeah, of course. She's a natural yeah, I, man. I she, hate those terms. She looks totally confident. Yeah, it, it's really crazy to. Three weeks ago, she she wasn't. You know, she, you know at that five at, weeks ago, she'd never skied. At that age, they're so low to the ground. It's like even if they get da- go down, they bounce right back up. Um, Here's the thing: it, t- the ski lesson stuff is awesome. Is, I do think she learns more when she's just with me. But I took my son this weekend as well. And we stayed out with some friends late on Friday night, late for the kids, till 10 Mm o'clock. And he was a monster. (laughs) I tried to put it. It took me 30 minutes to get his boots on. He wouldn't wouldn't help me. He was pointing his toe straight down, and it was a scene in the lodge. Oh, God. Like, God. And he did a couple runs, and then I let him get get going a little bit, and he kind of slid into the fence thing. He was fine, but and then he just shut it down. Movie. He just shut it down. And here, so here's the thing with young kids: it's like they do learn quickly, but my God, it's a lot of work. Skiing is a lot of work. Didn't we have this conversation? To Jesus me, it, with Christ. kids, it is so much work. Put your boots on. Put your coat on. My daughter can usually get her coat or gloves and stuff on. She can't zip her coat up. She's got her gloves on. Zip your coat up. Get your <laughs> helmet on. You got to wear your helmet. Why? What is this thing with helmets, too? It's almost like you're wrong if you're not wearing a helmet skiing. I'm like, I'm not going to fall on my head. Why would I wear a helmet? Well, I'm, It's a I'm, leisurely ski. I'm well, a good skier. Yeah. I'm not falling on my head. I, I can just imagine the scene with Bodie trying to get his stuff on and he's been up, you know, till 10 o'clock the night before. So he's already, 
he's already agitated and there you are and the boot Screaming won't nonsense. go on and you got the you're trying to buckle the thing and he's throwing his gloves on the ground what kind of scene was it well how did how did dad handle the scene poorly well, and i handled it all right how, how did you handle it well there's a lot to it because he wanted socks on and then he wanted socks off and then he got hot and then he wanted his coat off and then he wanted to try it himself and then he wanted to do this and like i was talking to him calmly most of the time until he freaked out about his socks and then i stayed calm in my voice but i ganked his sock off give me that sock <laughs> get that off all right needs to calm down right now like you grit your teeth talk through your teeth yeah he's got he's got to know this is, this is going on 30 minutes i mean th- oh, this is boy. we tried at the car they didn't go all the way on these boots fit kev they went on at the store just fine they slid right on he yeah. would you know the ski boots are tough but he's got to lift his toe up a little bit. Can't curl his toes down or his foot won't go in. (laughs) I'm getting mad talking about it right now. It's driving me crazy. Oh, those moments. That's the thing because I've talked to two or three other parents around here. Uh, There's a lot of kids up there. There's not – and there's young kids. But, yeah, a lot of the parents here are like, I know. We need to take them. Don't want to. I am convinced. Taking a kid skiing is hard. Oh, it's so much work. I'm convinced that that's why um, I didn't ski when I was a kid because I can only imagine my father, God bless him, uh, and we talked all weekend long, and uh, I love you, Dad. He's been in the hospital for uh, several days, um, but he's going he's gonna to be all right. <clears throat> um, but he was much more into warm weather sports. And I just don't see the whole skiing thing ever. It never appealed to him, nor did it my mother. So we didn't ski as kids. We didn't, the first ski trip I ever went on was like a school ski trip to Massanutten down in Harrisonburg, you know, or or down there. And it was the first time ever on skis. I was like probably 13 years old, 14 years old. And I do like skiing and I like the whole, I love, I love everything that comes with skiing, you know, the opera ski and the fun and the, and the cold weather and the beautiful scenery and, and all of that. But we were a warm weather vacation family and really with my boys, same thing, warm weather vacation. My boys would much rather, and now we did go skiing, um, but we didn't we didn't do the big trips out west like we did a lot of wisp in deep creek lake and you know a lot of that and, I, and we were out west once um but uh it was more or less let's find a place with an ocean sand golf putt putt golf and ice cream <laughs> let's and and a boardwalk and rides let's do that playland that no, no boots. You don't have to put any boots on. You don't have to get you. You don't have snot running down your face, and and you're rubbing it with the the mittens that you just put on. And now because snot's on it, you rip the mittens off and they throw them down on the ground. Oh my God, those days are the they're the worst. It's so much work skiing with kids. So much work. Wow. So, so much work doing anything with them. <laughs> but but why add why add to it with with I mean pair of shorts and and a t- a, you know a, 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 a swimsuit and a and a shirt and a sand bucket and a couple of shovels there. yeah just be careful just to your waist 
Although, you know, the truth is, and Scott called me about this. I remember Scott was down at the beach with the kids recently, and he's got super young kids at an older age because he got married later and had kids later. Like he, you know, he'll always say to me, I remember when you were going through this and you would seem just completely spent physically, mentally, everything else. And I just didn't get it. And now I get it. Like he goes, I can't have fun at the beach anymore because I'm sitting there standing right by the edge, watching every one of their moves to make sure they don't get swept away. Yeah. There's a lot of that too on a rough day at the ocean. It's... These are the, the, so your kids are Scott's ages, you know, kids ages. And this is, this is fun, but it's also really in many ways, incredibly stressful. And a lot of parents will say say to you, yeah, wait till they, you know, start heading out on Friday night and Saturday night and they're dating and they're doing this. I don't know. I think that's a lot less stressful on the parents. It's a different stress. That's one of those things that you do have to rely on and on your you're parenting a little bit. Did I teach them the right things? And are they going to make good decisions? Yeah, exactly. Right now, it's not all about their decisions that they can't make. They don't know how to make them. They have not been in a lot of these situations. (laughs) Right. I mean, (laughs) it's like I have to helicopter to make sure that they make them or my wife. No, I think that you don't want to miss anything. And I've, I've thought this for a long time that at two years from now, when my son's about my daughter's age, right after five for her, she had enough independence that I could trust her to kind of run around and do some things. He's five, she's eight, we'll be in utopia. And then you have about five years of that. Right. Until she's a teenager and then we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I think... Th- I would say that what you went through is honestly the most stressful situation for a parent because you're in public. And when your kids aren't doing what you're you're telling them to do. I didn't even care. See, I I I, I kind of cared. I kept my voice down. I like it's not like I would have done the same thing at home though. I would have acted the same way. Yeah, but there's an extra like, oh my god, please cuz now everybody uh, I mean, and by the way, in those situations, every other parents just sitting there watching like, hmm, let's find out how this one handles it, you know? Um I think it's definitely more stressful, even if you don't give a shit what anybody else thinks. And I would say that more times than not, I couldn't have given a shit. But I did not. I I did not want. And look, every parent goes through this, you know, and they'll say, well, that didn't happen. When my father, when my father raised his voice, we shaped up immediately. We didn't uh-huh. keep going. Yeah. OK, whatever. Um, no, no, they do. But you know what raise your voice means, right? It means go to level 10. <laughs> exactly. To the point where you actually frighten them. And yeah. they're like, oh my God. That's raising your voice. They don't want to. Now you're embarrassing them. So they have to stop. Oh, I know. <laughs> yeah. It's. Uh, no, 10 only happens at home. Isn't it fun, though, when you get back in and you can just drink hot chocolate and, gr- and eat grilled cheese sandwiches with French fries? <laughs> <laughs> That's the easy part of the day. She's Dad, a- I want to go night skiing. We're not going night skiing. We, I, we're not. Although, it's, but I want although to. it's less crowded. I, I don't care. Maybe yeah. we'll go tomorrow. <laughs> not. Um, no. It, it. That night skiing thing, I can remember. God, it's so interesting that you bring that up. I remember being at Wisp one year 
because um, we were up there a lot because my brother-in-law and sister-in-law had a great cabin up there that we used a lot when the kids were younger. It was I, I told you, my brother-in-law had all the toys. He had snowmobiles. He had four-wheelers, the whole thing. And then, you know, Wisp was, you know, it's a good mid-Atlantic resort because of the altitude and the, the amount of natural snow that, that it gets, which is what we talked about last week briefly. But, God, I remember one year. And I want to say that it was New Year's Eve and we were up there and it was New Year's Eve and it was snowing like hell and Casey, my oldest, and I went night skiing and we were like the only people out there and it was the most peaceful thing. Like the snow is coming down and you know, you can, you know, it's lit up and no one else is really there. And it was just so peaceful and we had the best time. And at that point he was old enough where, you know, it wasn't a problem. And he was just, he was thrilled and excited and God, I'll never forget that night. Never forget that night. Um, awesome. Anyway. Uh, okay. I do. I am going to talk. You didn't watch any, you didn't watch Maryland or hear about the wizards finish last night. Did you? Nope. I'm going to explain the Wizards finish to you, and I think you're going to um, follow along uh, because of your intellect when it comes to sports. Um, and we will do that uh, right after this word from one of our sponsors, and then we'll get to um, several Washington football-related topics from over the weekend. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Excellent double team. He puts up a shot anyway, and the Celtics escape. That was the final uh, attempt by Bradley Beal there at the end that missed. The Wizards lost to the Celtics 111-110. Maryland beat Michigan State and badly 73-55. Uh, we're going to cover both of those games in that segment, in this segment, excuse me, and then we'll get to some of the Washington football team news from over the weekend. So, Cooley, the, I, I'm going to start with the Wizards, even though the Maryland game's more important to me. Um, I want to start with this game because there was so much to this game uh, at the end in particular, and you've watched the highlights of it. Um, I'm going to start with this. So I've told you many times over the years that I think when you bet sports, you have a different perspective. And sometimes it's a sharper perspective, in my opinion, and sometimes it really doesn't matter. Um, but I can just tell you, as someone who's bet basketball and bet the NBA for many, many years, there were two games this weekend that the Wizards played, and they both 
were games in which they looked like the wrong side. You know, they came into this weekend off that road trip um, where they had, uh, you know, beaten the Blazers, beaten the Lakers, beaten the Nuggets. They had won three of four. They had won six of their last seven games going into their game Saturday night against the T-Wolves, who were terrible. And they were only a four-point favorite on Saturday night over Minnesota. And I was like, oh, wait, what? What am I missing? The Timberwolves are 7-26. and 26. The Wizards have won 6 of 7. And the Wizards are only four-point favorites over Minnesota. I will just tell you, I had Minnesota for the maximum allowed on Saturday night. Had them on the money line, too. I just figured... This is what, you know, average to less than average teams do. They play really well and then they come home and they're playing a bad team and they completely, because they're immature and they're not very good to begin with, they overlook the game and they get absolutely their asses handed to them. Well, it didn't happen. They, they beat Minnesota soundly. Now, they were down um, in the first half for a, a while and then they had this huge third quarter and they won going away, so I lost. Yes, I bet against my favorite team sometimes. I do it actually quite often um, when I, because sometimes I feel like I know you my know team. that team. I know my team better, and I knew that they should have been like a nine-point favorite, not a four-point favorite. And Vegas thought that it was a trap game for the Wizards too. But I, I bring this up because as a better, when you start to see teams essentially prove the boys in the desert wrong. Um, then you start to take notice. So they proved them wrong on Saturday night. And then last night against Boston, they are a seven-point underdog to the Celtics, and Jalen Brown, the Celtics' leading scorer, second leading scorer with Jason Tatum, is out. He's got an injury, he's out, and the line doesn't move at all. And I'm like, oh, they're going to get run out of the building tonight. By the way, the Celtics n- have not been playing well at all. The Celtics, you know, most pe- if you're following the NBA, you know the struggles they have had. So I thought last night was the night, okay, that, you know, it's the second half of a back to back for the Wizards. The Celtics have had some rest. They're laying this big number even without their star player. Vegas is expecting the Wizards to get run out of the building. It didn't happen again. They should have won the game, which we'll get to. They only lost by one. They covered. And I'm just going to tell you that this weekend, for me and my perspective, was very encouraging as a Wizards fan, that they are actually playing well, but they may be better than just playing well. They may be actually developing into a decent team. They have won seven of their last nine games, and it should have been eight of their last nine after last night. So we get to last night's game. Uh, Bradley Beal had 46 points. Cooley, how about this? Bradley Beal's last forty, uh, last 11 40-plus point games, his team has lost all 11 of them. In his last 11 games where he's gone for 40 or more, his team is 0-11. That just doesn't even make sense. Now, Beal, last night, played, I think, personally, the best game that I have watched him play this year. I haven't seen every game, but it was almost, it was a sign of maturity. Beal knew that this was a game that that Vegas and odds makers and betters, and by the way, he doesn't have to even feel that to know that second half of a back-to-back, playing a team that's fresher, you know, 
he this is where you usually get beat and you get beat badly and he understood that and he came out and played incredible on both ends of the floor almost willing his team to a win it's like you know what if we're going to be a good team we don't lose on the back half of a back-to-back against a team with one of their two best players out we go out and we get the job done and we win a game that in most cases average to less than average teams don't win and and usually they get run like it's like 128 to 108 and they're in this game pretty much the whole way there was a point in the third quarter they were where they were down 11 but Beal just kept a minute with incredible scoring by the way he's such they're up a, 8 in the fourth quarter yeah we'll get to that they were down 11 in the third quarter though i know but um, they were more than in it in the fourth yeah definitely and we'll get to to the ending here in a moment but Beal you know uh, he's not an MVP candidate, people. Uh, a lot of you, what about, are you going to start talking about Beal's an MVP candidate? We looked this up on the radio show this morning. He's not even in the top 15 of, of the odds. you got to be on a winning team to win the NBA MVP. Joel Embiid and LeBron. I think LeBron's won Embiid and, and Jokic and Doncic you know, are all basically there. And there are several players, Lillard and Steph, that are in front of Beal. And Beal's not an MVP candidate, but he is having a phenomenal year. And one of the things that I think he's really good at, he's very decisive offensively, and he gets downhill in a hurry, and he can cover a lot of ground on two dribbles. And he and he and he finishes well, and then he's got the step back in the mid range, and he's got a, a three point. He can he can shoot from range. He's just great. He was great on defense last night. Had a huge block. Had a huge save. I just loved the game he played last night. I thought it was one of the more mature games, and 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 a real understanding of these are usually the games we get our asses kicked in. Uh-uh. We are, I'm dialed in. I'm going to make sure everybody else is dialed in. We can win this game. They're not playing well, and they're without Jalen Brown. So anyway, they had this game. They had this game, you know, locked up. Not locked up. The NBA, an eight-point lead with 240 left. 250 left is not locked up. Um, and that's how much they led by with 250 left, 106 to 98. Then they were up 110-105 with 46 and a half seconds left. And then sort of all hell broke loose. And Scott Brooks got blamed by a lot of the fans for a lot of what happened. And I'll get to why I would not blame Scott Brooks for most of it here in a moment. But you've seen it now. First of all, it starts with defensively. Their defensive possessions were terrible. They let Jason Tatum just score too easily on two buckets that made it 110 to 109. Um, In between there, Russell Westbrook missed a three-pointer from the corner. A lot of people asked me, that's not who you want shooting that shot. Well, he had just made one about a, a minute and a half earlier. You know, and he's been playing much better. I personally want the ball in Beal's hands, not Westbrook's hands. I don't mind Westbrook shooting that shot. I actually don't um, in that spot. I would have preferred he can hit a three. Well, he's not a great three-point shooter by any stretch, but he had just made one, and he's been playing better. I think if if he's got the ball in his hands, uh, it, there's a better chance that something terrible is going to happen. Like they're not going to get a shot off. Um, by the way, they were crowding Beal. They were doubling him you know, in, in the fourth quarter. And so Beal made the right play. Now we get to the very end. Um, so Westbrook misses that. Tatum makes, makes an easy shot. It's 110-109 with 15 seconds to go. And a lot of you said, you got to call timeout, advance the ball 15 seconds and throw it in up court. And Brooks made a terrible decision. And Brooks did say after the game, he goes, I should have called a timeout there. Okay. I disagree. 
I think with 15 seconds left and only one timeout left, if you can get t- take the ball out of the net and get it inbounds real quickly to one of your best players like Bradley Beal, you know, and he can get into the open court and burn some clock before getting fouled, I'd rather have that in case they make a three on the other end then I can use my last timeout to advance the ball in a tie game. But what happened in that you know, on that play, which you've watched, is they do get the ball immediately into Beal. And what Beal did, it was the biggest mistake he made all night, in my opinion. He waited to get fouled. You can't wait to get fouled with 15 seconds left, you know, in a one-point lead. You wait to get fouled with five seconds to go, with six or seven seconds to go, But if you watch that, he is not trying to advance the ball. He's not trying to get into the clear. He's not trying to get fouled in the open floor. He is covering the ball, protecting the ball, waiting to get fouled. Now, the bad luck was the floor was wet because Tatum had hit the shot, hit the ground, and he slipped on the floor, slipped out of bounds, and it ended up being a turnover. But I didn't have any issue with Scott Brooks not calling a timeout, which, by the way, when Beal got the ball and got trapped, he tried to call a timeout. They didn't give it to him. Um, Beal can't count, he can't hold the ball with 15. Look, if he doesn't slip there coolly, there's a chance he's going to get tied up, and it's going to be a jump ball. So what does he do? Well, you get that ball inbound. You immediately turn and you face the open floor, and you look for a quick pass to the middle of the floor, or you immediately split that that trap that's coming. Which and, he could have. Which he could have, and then you're into the open floor, and maybe you get fouled in the process, or maybe you get fouled in the open floor after burning another second or two. He, he made a mistake there. He had a great game. You don't wait to get fouled with 15 seconds. That was not the, That's not a good idea. He would have been tied up had he not uh, slipped, and there would have been a jump ball. I mean, maybe they would have called the foul there, but th- that was not what you do in that situation. So he made a mistake there. Brooks didn't make the mistake, in my view, there. So on the turnover, they get Beal matched up against Tatum. I actually thought Beal did a phenomenal job against Tatum in that spot, and Tatum's great. He's fucking awesome. I mean, these were two of the best offensive scorers in the game going head-to-head. And Tatum makes a really tough move, and I actually thought he got, might have gotten fouled on the shot that he makes with 4.7 seconds left. By the way, they nearly threw away the inbounds pass because the Wizards guarded it closely. So now you take that last time out, you advance the ball, 4.7 seconds left. So first of all, before we get to the last play, what did you think of him turning it over there? Well, I I think you're talking about the Beal play. Yeah, the, the on the inbounds. Yeah, on the inbounds. You gotta go, man. Yeah. I mean, now if they had Ralph Spider Edwards sweeping the floor, <laughs> who has now since passed away, famous floor sweeper for the Boston Celtics, it, that would have never happened. He would have got that thing. Spider would have had that mop out there real quickly. <laughs> <laughs> taking care of business. Um, I, I'm really struggling to find out who the actual mopper was at this point. But, I mean, there's no way. <laughs> Situationally, you're like, can't go there. The thing is, is uh, he's just got to go. I mean, the, the he falls down hard because of the sweat. But there's 12 seconds, Kev. Yeah. I don't want to go to the line with 12 seconds. 
I want to avoid getting fouled for as long as I can. So yeah. Bill gets it. He's got who wears a who wears seventeen? Is that Bonga? Yeah, Bonga was out there. He got Bonga wide open. Yeah, I don't know if you want Bonga um, at the free throw line. Um, well, he, they, yeah, I, I don't know if he's thinking about that. The second he gets stuck in that trap, he's just hoping he gets fouled. Okay, he's he's just hoping he gets fouled. But yeah, that just extends the game so much, and so much can happen in the NBA game with these guys that can score. No doubt, in nine seconds. I mean, going up three doesn't ensure anything with nine seconds. I actually loved how Westbrook jumps out after the make, gets it in quickly to Beal. Now you space the floor. By the way, somebody's got to be in the middle of the floor. Whoever's guy comes to trap has to be the outlet in the middle of the floor for Beal. But Beal wasn't going to find anybody anyway. He was just sitting there, back turned to the action, waiting to get fouled. That was that was the mistake. Like Bradley was playing it like there were five seconds left in the game, not fifteen, because with five seconds they have to foul. And he wants to be the guy to go to the line. But they don't have to foul there. They're trapping him to try to turn him over. And if he doesn't slip, I'm telling you, to me, the, the odds of a, of a tie-up and a jump ball are just are, are equal to him getting fouled. It, it was the wrong plan of action for him. It was – he had such it a – It was not – it was just freeze. Uh, uh, someone going to foul me? What yeah. are we, we going to do here? None. We're not. There's still 15 seconds, 14, 13, 12. We think we could. Yeah, oh, you, you slipped. You slipped. It's our ball. So I, I, I that's just not, to me, a, a Scott Brooks situation. I'm sorry. Um, you go to the Wizards' final play with 4.7 seconds left, now down 111-110. First of all, I am absolutely, you know, in this situation, I'm not using Bradley Beal as a decoy. I want Bradley Beal to have – he's got 46 points in the game. you know. But here's the thing, Cooley. When you run a play for him to come off the screen and catch the ball heading towards the corner with 4.7 seconds left, <clears throat> you are asking for the double team in the trap. And, and I'll spend literally 30 seconds on this. In, at a youth level – One of the things you do as a coach, a basketball coach, if you know what you're doing, is you explain to your players what the sideline and what the baseline and what the half-court line mean in terms of extra defenders and how that impacts the game, what we call in the trade the trap areas. You don't want to get into a trap area where if you've crossed half-court, you've got the half-court line now that becomes a defender or the sideline. I... Every single team I've ever coached for as long as I've coached, especially at young ages, I have a one-three-one half-court trap that I play coolly, and and I coach it, 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 it. A lot of people do this. I coach it never to trap in the backcourt, but to bait the ball handler to cross half-court in the trap area, sideline, half-court, and then you jump them. Because now there are four players around that player. There's the sideline, there's the half-court line, there are two players. And if you step up and you cover with rotation, the easy passes, their only play is to throw way over the court to the other side of the court, which you would then have time to recover on if they make that pass. Like when you beat a a half-court trap, you beat it with passing by never dribbling into a trap area. But you you keep it in the backcourt. You don't want to cross half court with a dribble unless it's in the middle of the floor. 
And in that particular situation, they ran a play for Beal to catch the ball with 4.7 seconds left in a trap area. And they had well, already... it's also a bad pass that turns him inside instead of turning him outside. But it, true, so he can't. So he can't. So he loses all momentum if the pass carries him to where he can turn over his left, over his right shoulder, and just turn and face the hoop and shoot. He's going to get a shot. But he's got to turn inside because Westbrook throws a pass that just doesn't lead him enough. If you watch the pass again, and it's 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 contested, but Beal has to then rotate all the way back inside. Which makes it tough. Yeah, but could have got a shot in the corner, which is probably what they were designing. No, they want he, he they, what they're designing is for him to be able to catch that on the move and attack the rim. And well, if the pass is enough, it, it, but you don't want that pass it, to come it, in that but direction. Even at that, Beal can't. Beal's got to let that carry him and turn the opposite direction. Look. It's just like when you catch a hitch in football and you turn back inside into traffic. Voice. Catch a hitch, you turn and rotate out to the sideline. Right. It's the same thing. I mean, Beal's got to turn the opposite way with that. It's, it's a mistake by both of them. But that allows the trap. They would have beat the trap. See, He would have beat, beat his dude. Who's on him? Tatum? You can't. I think. No, you, you, you can't run him in saying, that. But... You can't run him in that direction. He's got to catch the ball in the middle of the floor in that spot. And let me just mention this: and this is where I give Brooks some fault for running that play with four point. Look, with four point seven seconds left, you can't you can't have him moving that far towards a trap area. Bad pass or not? I'm going to go look at the pass again because I did not take it, that into consideration. And I'm about to. It's def- not the worst pass, but it's behind him. Um, okay, here it is. Hold on. See, I mean, he is coming off a screen outside the three-point line, heading for the corner of the floor. So, uh, the pa- well, uh, you know, the pass isn't terrible. And the bottom line here is doesn't two, do many favors. To turn two, though, but two things. One, you can't. You can't design that play. If he's going to come off the screen, he's got to catch the ball inside the three-point line with more space on both sides. Number two is this, and I'm going to blame Beal a little bit for this. Again, brilliant game. I think one of the more mature games I've seen him play until the very end. I really think Beal, as a basketball player, you know, you know as a basketball player when you catch the ball or when you're in an area that's easy to trap. And you have an instinct for that, and you immediately try to extricate yourself from that with either a quick pass or a quick turn in a split of the coming double team. And he didn't seem aware that it was going to happen. And and by the way, nobody helps him out. You've got to immediately, like Westbrook's got to cut towards the basket there because it's his man that uh, ultimately oh, and he's w- got a lane. was the He'll trap. Score. He'll and, score or get fouled. But Beal doesn't feel that it's coming, and he should have. I don't think Beal wants it. Well, first, I mean, you go even further. It's a bad screen by old Raul. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he barely even gets a piece to Tatum. Right. Yeah, and then Beal, and look, here's the thing. Beal's shooting that ball in his mind. Oh, no doubt. Well, he's a the game he's had. Like he's done. It's he's taken the shot. Yeah, 
He's not even. He's not going to look to pass because he could have got it back out to Westbrook. Uh, you have to. You have to because Westbrook's man is the is the man doubling, and if he's you, wide. And Westbrook's wide open. He's going to get a clean shot. If you can't, the, the main thing about it is Beal almost makes the shot. It, it's incredible that he almost made that shot. Incredible, but you just can't as a team. You can't put a player into a position for an easy, you know trap and in a trap area and Beal doesn't didn't sense that which surprised me because he could have immediately attacked by splitting the double but really the ball should have gone right back to Westbrook who should have attacked the rim and tried to hit a layup at the buzzer and and that's in but that's because of the the play that was designed um Beal was going to get doubled with 4.7 seconds regardless. And the other thing you do also, Cooley, anytime under five seconds in situations like that, you're going to switch every screen. And you switch every screen defensively because there's no time to take advantage of a matchup, you know, uh, di- you know, advantage, right? Like usually when you switch, you hope that you don't end up with a bad matchup, like a point guard on a center or a center guarding a point guard, right? But with less than five seconds to go, there's no time to take advantage of that mismatch if it comes off a switch screen. You don't want anybody to come clear off a screen, so you switch it. They weren't even going to switch it. They were just going to double him. That was the plan. It was a great plan. He nearly makes the shot. You can't give him the ball there, number one. But number two, Beal's got to have a better sense of, Ooh, I'm catching this towards a trap area. They've been doubling me less than five seconds. Of course they're going to double me. I better look to attack immediately before it gets here or get it right back to the passer whose man came to double sure. me. And as soon as it, that pass turned him inside, which I still don't even think it has, I would have to watching it 50 times, as soon as it turned him back inside, he's got to get rid of the ball. Yep. Yeah, it was uh... – it's a rough ending. God, we should go coach an AAU team. Well, I did for many years. I, I, um, I, I, I can just tell you that that was an. Imp- I, I know that they lost the game, and it was a brutal loss, and it was one of those at the end. I'm like, damn, that would have been a hell of a win. They'd have been 14 and 18. They would have been, you know, here they are on what? That would have been eight out of their last nine. And, you know, they are, are really hot in moving up the standings, which they are. Um, and that just would have been a really good win. You know, right now, they are only three and a half games out of fourth in the East. They're Great. three and a half games out of fourth place. The Knicks are in fourth, which is amazing the year they're having. And the Wizards are three and a half games behind them. There's a lot of teams bunched up. It just, I would have loved to have seen them get that one, but I was also incredibly encouraged with them not getting trapped. Which was, I'm telling you, I didn't bet. I didn't bet against them last night, even though I really liked the Celtics laying the six and a half, seven, because they had done what they had done the night before. I think it's a really good sign. Betters who are listening to this understand what I'm saying, and a lot of you don't, and that's fine. I'm I'm okay with that. Just understand, last night Vegas thought Boston was going to win big. Because it usually happens that way. Second half back-to-back with average teams that have been playing well recently and are coming off a win. you know. And then, oh, by the way, a little bit of a letdown because one of the best players on the other team isn't playing. And when the line didn't go down because Jalen Brown was out, then I was absolutely convinced they were going to lose. Anyway, good win uh, for the Celtics. 
Um, a brutal ending for the Wizards. Uh, you know, a f- eight point lead, two forty left, five point lead, forty six seconds. It's the NBA. Lots, lots of shit happens in in the final three minutes, two minutes of a game. Um, but that that was certainly a winnable game. On the Terps, Cooley, real quickly. Um, for those of you that didn't listen to the radio show, I had Turgeon on at the end of the show. So it's in hour three. You can go listen to it on the team980.com or the radio.com app. Um, he was excellent. He actually was really good. Uh, but man, um, for all of you that listen that, you know, um, crush me as a Turge apologist, it was another bad day for you guys. Um, look, there are two things that are true. He has not accomplished enough in March. And he's also a good coach. Um, both of those things are true. And right now, he is proving what a good coach he is. They have won five games in a row. Um, they lost, you know, Stick Smith last year, top 10 in the draft. Anthony Cowan, four year senior, one of the best point guards in America. This was supposed to be sort of a transition year, a non tournament year. Um, they're going to make the tournament. They locked that up yesterday. They're going to be in the tournament. But more than that, they're, they're a really, they're a good team right now. And there, there are not. They're really good on defense. They're exceptional in defense, and they are improving offensively. When did Michigan State score their first basket? Like twelve minutes left in the first half. Yeah, it was six plus minutes into the game. I think it was eleven to nothing. And you've been to Maryland games with me. How was this? That place would have been delirious. Oh, yeah. I, I literally asked you, like, I forgot about what's going on right now. Just assuming you were there. No, no, nobody's. I know you weren't. I know. I know you weren't. It's funny because oh, it isn't. It's here. I know what's going on in the world. <laughs> yeah, but it's another world where I live. I know it is. I know it is. No, no one um, w- has been at a Maryland game, and it's funny because um, I, I said to Turge, I said, you know, I um, and I made this comment with the help of my boy Hayden, who actually texted me something similar, but I. I I so identified with his thought, Hayden in Virginia, who's a big listener to the podcast and the radio show. And, um, you know, you know, I'm a big college basketball fan. I'm a big hoops fan, but I love college basketball. And I think sometimes in this sport, people, the casual sports fan, you know, they, they pay attention in March and everything that happens in March is what matters. And to me, the journey, uh, to the tournament, which is what Maryland's gone, you know, there's so many, it's so enjoyable. Um, And I think it's way underappreciated by the average fan who only cares about March. When you're in a big-time league and you're playing these big-time important games and the intensity of these games, you should sit, you should enjoy it. I mean, not every team gets to play in these games every year, and Maryland does. You know, last year, some of the regular season wins they had at Indiana, Illinois, the comeback at Northwestern, the comeback at Minnesota with the Daryl Morsell shot, the, the incredible all-time memorable finish at Michigan State when Anthony Cowan had 12 for their final, you know, 12 of 14 points or whatever it was. It's, it's a sport where everybody's dialed in on what, did, what do you do in March, but you know there are incredible games that go on. I'm I'm enjoying as I have with this team the last few years, the journey. Like I'm sitting there coolly yesterday, that was intense. That's Izzo. That's Michigan State. They've beaten two top five teams this week alone to get back into contention for the tournament. 
They're coming in, you know, ready to roll Maryland. Maryland, by the way, was a three-point favorite, which let me, led me to believe that we were going to win big. Um, the Terps have won four in a row. Turgeon's got them playing as maybe one of the top five defensive teams in America, and now they've gotten their offense going and they're confident. The intensity of that game at times, it was just it was, it was so much fun to watch. And Maryland pulled away at the end. They made every big play. Michigan State could have been tired. Who knows? I don't think it would have mattered. Maryland's playing very well right now. And I'm telling you, Cooley, there aren't 20 teams in America better than they are right now. Not, there aren't 15, there aren't 18 teams in the country better than Michigan State and Maryland are right now. I don't know if Michigan State's going to make the tournament. They have Michigan twice, Indiana this week. They probably have to win two of the three. Um, Maryland's in. They're a lock. They're profiled. Their Ken Palm now is up to like 26, I think it is. Um, and their their uh, net ranking is like 28. Like they could lose the they could lose to Northwestern, Penn State in the first round of the Big Ten tournament, and they're still in. Their profile is third toughest schedule in the country. They have faced, um, and they have five wins against quad one teams. I mean, there are only 12 teams or 13 teams in the country that have that. They're going to be in, and they've actually got a chance if they can really if they can beat Northwestern, which is a trap game. Trust me. I will tell you whether or not they're going to win that game when I see that point spread. I asked, I told Turgeon this morning, I said, you know this is a trap game, right? Like you're going to have to really have them ready. And does, he, any, does anyone text Turgeon more than you? Uh, probably About his team? Scott probably does. Scott, yeah. <laughs> he probably does. No, I'm sure a lot of people do. You guys do. should just group text him. <clears throat> um. But he, uh, I, I said to him this morning you know, on, on, the, on the radio show, I go, this is one of those trap games. You come off a big win, and Northwestern's capable. They just beat Minnesota. They got some shooters. And he, and he said to me, he goes, I'll, I, I'm going to know tomorrow in practice. You know, and if we're dialed in like we've been, he goes, I know what you're saying. Like, he, he was not unaware. They're on a heater, man. You never leave a heater. They, they are on a heater right now. They're on a heater. If they can win I'm these just, two games the, and win a Big Ten game, uh, they, they're, they're going to be they, – they could get as high as like a six seed. I don't want to see them as an eight, nine in Gonzaga's region because then maybe you win a first-round game, maybe you don't, and then you get Gonzaga in the second-round game. Turgeon said to me this morning, he goes, I think our best basketball is ahead of us. I think he's right. It's weird. You know, you, you have – Don't a, jinx it, man. You need to text him. You need to text him like you did. A I did. Week I ago. told him. I said, "I'm, I'm not jinxing it. Jinxing it. I'll say did, something did, bad." Did you about tell him you. what he needed to fix after the game? <laughs> no, I didn't. Um, but you well, know that worked. It's it's weird that when you did that, it worked. What's you need to get back to it? Let's get a text together. What they what 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 could they fix, Kev? Start after, texting now. after yesterday. Honestly, nothing. They were flawless oh, no. yesterday. Oh, no. Flawless. Um, you know, though, in basketball, Cooley, especially college basketball, it's all matchups, man. I, you know, we talk about that a lot in football. In college basketball, in a 40-minute game that seems to fly by, you know, you can have a really good team and in a one-and-done, just get a, a team that you don't, for whatever reason, match up well with, or vice versa. I think a lot of teams are going to have a problem with Maryland defensively. They've got a bunch of guys, 6'5 to 6'8, that all have long wingspans, and they are one of the best perimeter defensive teams in America. And they are really getting confident offensively. Um, anyway, uh, I, I, I'm enjoying 
this season. And for those of you that just don't think he's a very good coach, you're wrong. You're right about the March results at a place like Maryland. They have to be better. I agree with you. I think he would agree with you. Um, but enjoy some of these games. I mean, they're they're going to be in the tournament for the sixth time in seven years. You know, that's you keep going to the tournament every year. You know, it took Gary a while to bust through too. I mean, the difference is Gary was getting to Sweet Sixteens all the time, even when he wasn't getting to Final Fours. But anyway, um, I loved uh, I loved the game yesterday, and I really like this team right now. They're fun to watch. All right, uh, up next, uh, several Washington football topics we'll get to right after this word from one of our sponsors. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis. Analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. All right, we're going to get to uh, a few Washington football-related topics here in a moment. Um, I have a question for you. It's a personal question. <laughs> okay. How much money gross did you make in your career? I, I don't know. <laughs> All right, We fine. can figure it out. I, I have I, sort of figured it out. Um, but and, I, and by the way, it's... Just in my playing career? Yeah. You, you signed three... You basically signed your rookie so I deal. I didn't get my last two years of my deal. What'd you say? I didn't get the last two years of my contract. Right, but you got the first four at five million per year. Well, and, and that's you, not and you really had this, what it was. And but I had, guess it, I guess it was with signing bonus, right? That second deal had to pay you close to twenty five million gross. No, because I did my last two years. This was like twenty two, twenty three. Okay, well, I was close enough. And your rookie deal was. Um, like, Eight hundred grand, and then three fifty, four fifty, five fifty. God, it's like t- just under two million gross. And when did they come to you during your rookie deal to give you that new contract? Well, that started after my third season, and it, my agent had a deal emailed into them the late Gary Wishard, yeah, 
which was like a six-year extension for $55 million. And they and the team wasn't responding to that. And I, I did a lot, you know me, I did a ton of research and I went through everything and I'm like, that. I mean, if I went to pure free agency, I, I could get something like that potentially in a new deal, but that's, that's not going to happen. And his thing was, well, even if you get tagged, I mean, that's what your deal would be worth two years from the time I signed the deal. But I'll be honest with you. I, I should have had more confidence in myself and who I was as a player, but I wanted it done. And so as we got close to the end of the year, I got a call from the owner. At the end of 2006? No, sorry. It was, as we got close to the beginning of 2007. Right. We were through training camp, almost through training camp. And I got a call from the owner. He said, come in, let's talk about this. And I, I Kev, I had done all the research. So I end up sitting down with the owner and Eric Schaefer. It was a Friday after the last Thursday preseason game. And we had the deal done by noon. Did Gary Wishard want you to do that? Your agent? Probably, probably not. Did he ever say anything to you? No, congratulations. You know, I should have said to the team, in hindsight, I should have said to the team, just I'll sign this deal in two days, but I have to submit the letter to fire my agent. Because I negotiated the whole deal. Why should I pay anything? I ended up paying per the 3% out of that deal, which was dumb. Um, but I was happy with it. So when Very you, happy. And I was so, that, that next year was one of my best years. So when you I, walked in, the owner calls you, come on in and talk about the contract. Does any part of you think, well, this is unusual. They've been dealing with my agent. And I, and I know how you are. I'm going to take control of my own situation. I am not going to, you know, let an agent make a decision that's against my wishes, whatever. But you could have been just as firm with your agent um, on, you know, what your guidelines were, what you would take, what you wouldn't take, all the research you, you had done, et cetera. But wasn't it a little weird that, I mean, how many guys did Snyder call in to negotiate a contract with? I don't know the answer to that question. Do you have any idea? I don't think I don't think anybody. Yeah, I was going to say, do you know anybody else that did it that way? No. So do you think it worked out for you or didn't work out for you? Well, it did work out for me, but it could have worked out better How had so? I waited. But it, it worked out. I have I'm sitting here telling you I have no complaints with having done that. Actually, I I have one complaint. I shouldn't have had I shouldn't have done the extra year in the extension. Yeah, because you went through 2013. It was 2008 through 2013. But it wouldn't have mattered because I ended up hurting my knee, and yeah. I would have still been a year away. It really wouldn't have ended up mattering to me. What? Um, what was your? Give me your memory of what your research was and what you, where you felt you you should have been slotted. Do you remember? I think Witten had done an extension the year before for like 12.5 in signing bonus and 32 in gross or 32 in total. And I thought that was very comp comparable. At that point, I was – I'll debate this all day. I was every bit the tight end Witten was at that point. Right. And I think I would have been had I been healthy and had a quarterback my entire career. Um, I, I, know, I don't think so. I watched a lot of film. I, I would have been. Yeah, I think so too. 
Um, I have no problem saying that. But I thought that was really comparable. And Jason's a great player and had a great career. I'm not saying that he didn't. So I, I thought that was fair. I think, you know, for me, the pending franchise tag after my fourth season, and keep in mind, my fourth season was like $600,000. Right. It wasn't like I was – I signed it before whatever that year was or $700,000 or whatever that was. It, I, I realize when we talk about that, it's a lot of money. But playing – Well, it's part of your rookie deal. Yeah, playing out that rookie deal with the potential to get tagged. And my tag was like $4.8 million right. at that point. Had it not went well, and over the next two years, I made – Five point six million dollars and ends end up netting three. That's not that's not the best case scenario for me, right? The, the way I looked at it, I, I thought there's no guarantee to what happens in the game, to what happens in, to me in life. To get a, a signing bonus of fourteen million guaranteed was the best thing I could do, and I was happy. It made I was comfortable. I played better. I felt better. I had less pressure. Yeah, I, I've we've talked about this on the radio show a lot of times. I've recommended over and over that players do the best deal for them when there's a time to do a great deal. Uh, it's somewhat different now, though. Like if my franchise tag, what's a tight end franchise tag? Like twelve million? Uh, I don't know. I mean, Kittle signed the big deal. Which, by the way, is fifteen a year. Ten point one million dollars is a. Mm. Wow, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Had my franchise tag number been ten million instead of just under five million dollars, that would have changed the way I would have viewed that whole situation. It, it certainly would have. I remember uh, you were very adamant with Brian Arakpo. That he get a long term deal done rather than playing that one year on the franchise tag. I remember you. I forget if you actually told him that or not. I forget exactly how our conversation went, but I remember Iraq Post franchise tag. You were like, dude, one year of 11 million, whatever it was, versus, you know, potentially getting a deal where, you know, you could get uh, I thought he was worth 40 million guaranteed. I thought I thought he would have gotten a deal with like nine million dollars a year, but he wanted eleven or twelve a year. But 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 you, but the point was he was going to get a longer term deal with a lot more guaranteed than just the eleven million. Yeah, if he'd have did six years or five years at nine million dollars a year, it'd have been forty five total. He would have taken over twenty and guaranteed. Right. He would have made more money. Yeah. Well, and probably had he done that deal, I don't know. He he would have ended up making more money than he did in his career if he had done that that way. Now, it's uh, again, it's a little different when he did it than, let's say, Brandon Sheriff. Brandon Sheriff knows his franchise tags an exorbitant amount of money, so it's worth the risk at his position. Yeah, so let's go to him um, because that was one of the subjects that I wanted to um, talk about. So you, we are now in that, that stretch of the, the football calendar where teams have until March 9th to slap the franchise tag on the player, and then the league calendar uh, begins March 15th, 
or March 17th, actually. But, you know, teams can begin entering into contract negotiations with players. It's that, you know, quote, legal tampering period uh, between the 15th and the 17th. So, Brent, remember that the guard tackle position as it relates to the franchise tag is combined, which benefits guards, obviously, because tackles make more money. Brandon Sheriff to play on a second tag this year would be $18 million. This would be the worst mistake the team can make, in my view. And I know some would say, well, they've got plenty of cap space. It's not the point. The point is, first of all, he ain't worth $18 bucks for one year. Secondly, you are now basically ensuring that he's going to hit free agency next year. So if you don't get a long-term deal done with Brandon Sheriff, at call it $15 million, guarantee, $15 million a year with – um, 40 million guaranteed. Is that what you gave me last week? I forget what you gave me last week. Um, you have to be prepared to move on from him. No way do you give him a tag. And by the way, if, if you tag him, he will sprint to sign it. Why wouldn't he? They, they, they have to, these teams have to learn these lessons about, you know, players that are sort of, you know, you got to get. You got to be aggressive. They should have been aggressive last year, but Bruce lowballed. They him. were aggressive. No, they lowballed him. They offered him thirteen million bucks a year. He was going to get more, a lot more in the tag. I, I think, I think they wanted a counter. That's and that's the one thing that I think they always made a mistake with is they always wanted the player to have to counter back up. It's like just give him what you're going to give him. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes that works. Sometimes you have to set yourself up. But 13 isn't, like, if it was 13, that's not really lowballing. When when the franchise tag north of 15 million, or you're an unrestricted free agent where where Brandon Brooks got 14.8, Sheriff's agent clearly thought he was more than, more, he was worth more than 13 plus million a year. So it wasn't going to get it done. So they tagged him. And once you start down that path with a guard, let alone a quarterback, which they have experience with, you're going to pay him $18 million. You're not Right now, you're the general manager. You're Martin Mayhew. You're Marty Herney. You're Ron Rivera. You're sitting in that room. What is your conversation uh, regarding Brandon Sheriff about? What are you going to do? What aren't you going to do? Well, I'm not going to tag him because it's you're paying tackle and guard money when you tag him. Right. $18 million. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have tagged him last year. I, I, I would have, I, and I would have at least had a verbal counter from his agent. Like, what do you guys need to get this done? Just tell me what you need to get it done. Where are you? And they may have done that. And if it was, if it was thirteen five, maybe. I mean, Kev, nobody makes like the high number is fourteen million dollars a year. I don't want to pay a guard $14 million a year. <laughs> I hear you. I don't want to pay a guard $13 million a year. If that was the offer, that's what Norwell got two years ago. That's a high number. Mm-hmm. I don't want to pay that. I'll okay. move on. Okay. And I love Brandon Schiff. I told you this. I think he's the epitome of what you want. Like, he is. You also said he's not. he might not, might not even be a top 10 guard. And then you. No, we, we did. We did. I went through the guards. He's a top 10 guard for sure. Okay. But that's healthy, all things going well. And we went through the list of Brandon Sheriff's issues, his injuries and what's went on. He's not always healthy and he's not always playing. 
He's missed no a one third projects of, it that way. He's missed a third of his starts the last three years. 16 but out of 48. No other team's going to project it that way, in my opinion. There'll be two or three other teams that end up competing that have money and will pay him. And that's the problem that Washington faces right now. What makes it a conundrum is you want him because of who he is. You want to let him go. You love him. Yeah. You love his work ethic. You love his mentality. You love the leadership he provides. And his play's good. It's really good. Right. Is he – he's elite as a run blocker. He's not better than Quentin Nelson. He's the one that will break the bank. He's the one that you would break it for. Not Brandon Sheriff. I wonder what he gets in free – because the – I mean, there's just so much. Well, I mean, the cap's so down. Teams that the cap's down, but that's not going to. Is that really going to matter to teams that have massive cap space? I don't know if that matters. to Teams that have massive cap space. The, I mean, it, you can you could weigh in what you need and where you, I mean, what where you expect to spend money. If you're going to draft a quarterback, you know that that's not going to be a big cap number for your team for the next few years. But you don't know you're going to draft a quarterback. You might want to leave some of that cap space if there was potential to make a trade or acquire a quarterback next year. I'm not. They're not. And here's the other thing. Here, well, the other reason I'm not tagging him, not paying him eighteen million dollars. You said it, and you're right. If you can't negotiate a deal that you like with him now, you're tagging him, essentially hoping he has less of a season so you can pay him less than right. a year, yeah. which is ridiculous. And you're not a Super Bowl contender, in my opinion. Right. So why are you going to spend $18 million? It's unfortunate the way you got to where you got. I mean, here. What do you think he's hoping for? Do you think he's the highest, the highest money possible? (laughs) All right. um, I mean, here's the thing. Yeah. I, I think he's probably hoping I'll just look, I'll just take the franchise tag number. It's another guaranteed $18 million. And then I'll sign another guaranteed contract next year. Thirty-three million for a guard in two years if he signs the tag, if he's tagged. I know. That's asinine. They're yeah, not going to do that. There's no way they would do that. No they way. They should. They should not do that. Even Let's though they have the way. cap space potentially to do it. But the point is the same point that I made to you with the Cousins thing. Now you've paid him the forty-four million in two years, which could have been your guaranteed money after twenty fifteen for a five-year deal. Um, but now you've given it to him in two years, and here's the problem. He has no incentive at all to sign a long-term deal when you are fo- going to be forced to tag him at, w- what was it going to be that year, $27 million or $25 million or whatever it was going to be. You're also that conceding that you don't want to pay him the, the most money for an offensive guard, which is conceding that you don't believe he's the best guard in the league. Look, I don't really have much of an issue if they decide he's so important culturally, he's so important to the you know, he's such a good player when he's healthy that he, you know, that they they believe his best football is ahead of him if they pay him 15 and 40 guaranteed. And he at least momentarily before Quentin Nelson gets to his next deal, his real deal, he momentarily might become the highest paid guard in the league. Briefly, I don't have a problem with that because it's like we always say, you know, today's, you know, overpay is tomorrow's bargain. You know, I, I ta- talked about that with Cousins all along. 
Like, you've got to view it that way. And it's a down cap year, and then the cap could potentially exponentially increase, which means, you know, he may look at this deal in year three going, shit, there's six guards paid higher than I am. It's the Trent Williams situation, too. He would have, if they had done something with him, he would have been, you know, nowhere near where they, where he ultimately, you know, wanted to be. Um, I, I don't know, man. I, I think I would give him a long-term offer, like you said, to make him they the highest. Have. I, I would make him. How do you? What do you mean they have? Well, to make him the highest paid. I'm talking. You think that there's no? There's been no reporting. No, they've about made the, an offer that it, that's that's a realistic offer. They've made him an offer uh, they, already. They've made an offer that. But the problem is, is they let it get too far. They've made him an offer already this year, this off season. I'm sure that they've made another offer. Okay. A new. Sounded like you knew something. No, I don't know any. I, okay. I know nothing that goes on. You know, I know nothing. I would think that some. I would certainly think that they've had a lot of conversations, agent and you know Rob Rogers or Mayhew or whomever is handling that stuff. If they don't make him an offer, if this if this next organization doesn't make him an offer that makes him the highest paid guard in the league, then there's two organizations that didn't want to make him the highest paid guard in the league, and so essentially that would say Chris is probably right. He's probably about the fifth best guard in the league. I love the way you've come up five spots in a week. And okay, <laughs> I don't. Even, I could. I'm just trying I think, could not. Like, I after Quentin Nelson, honestly, I would have a hard time ranking guards. I mean, this is the area that is so hard for normal football fans. I mean, I mean, I certainly know that Norwell and Zach Martin are really good players. You know, and the guy from Tampa that they were raving about in the in the postseason, the guy. Um, um, with uh, Ali, um, Muppet, Marpet, Marpet. Yeah, yeah. I know he's really good. Um, but that's you know, okay. Um, so you're gonna move on. Well, I, I I'm not tagging him. I'll make him a deal that where 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 exactly right now does Brandon Banks? What was his 14 point? Here it is 14. Point one, basically. Highest paid guard on average per year. I don't know what he Brandon got Brooks. guaranteed uh, money. Um, we can look that up. 32 but, million. Okay, so to me, it is 15 and 35 to 40 guaranteed. And if, you, if you're not going to take that, we wish you the best of luck, Brandon. We wish you the best of luck. You're gonna you're gonna give him fifteen million dollars a year. Yeah, with my cap situation right now and how I feel about him and and how he fits into this culture and leadership in my locker room and the kind of team I want to have and the kind of people I want to have on my team. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that now. It's gonna look cheap three years from now, you know, and we can afford it right now. Okay. What's your, what's your what's your final offer? Saying I love him, I love the way he practices, I love what he does. I'm gonna give him. I'm gonna come up to thirteen five a year. Ooh, you're not getting him. You didn't get him with that last year, or I before know. the first tag. He's not signing that. So you're. I'm gonna say the cap's down a little bit. You missed games again this year. We, I, I we love you. Thirteen five is a great offer. Mm-hmm. You probably gonna get more in free agency. Good luck. Will this offer will stand no matter what? Cooley moves on from Brandon Sheriff. That's the head. That's the show title today. <laughs> yeah, well, don't make that the show title because you know I think the world of it. I know you do, and that'll be expressed I, when people uh, listen to the podcast. 
yeah, I, I, would, I would request that you don't make that the show title. No, you don't have you don't have control. I, honestly, of that. in your contract with me, you don't have control over the titling of the show. Well, I have control about not coming on Friday. <laughs> well, then you won't get paid for Friday. Um, I'll miss my. <laughs> I won't say it. By the way, Cooley's going to start getting all of his free agent stuff together here over the next few shows as we approach the beginning of free agency. I want, I want to. Here's do... the other reason I want, I'm not paying a guard, just so you know. Because mm-hmm. Wes Schweitzer came in and did a damn good job. Okay, but Wes Martin didn't. Well, Wes Martin's still really young. Okay. But Wes Schweitzer came in and did a really good job. I think the answer at sheriff's I'll replacement. I pay left tackle. I pay a left tackle that money. Right. I think I think the answer could be potentially um, Sadiq Charles taking Brandon Sheriff's spot, and then you go get a left tackle. But yeah, absolutely. by the way, did I, I tell? I'm going to pay. Who's who's available in free agency here? Uh, Trent Williams. <laughs> Oh, Seriously, I had this list. I can see. I, I I was thinking about it. I can see Trent coming back. No, you can't. There's no way Dan will allow it. No chance. I disagree. Oh, really? Bet you any amount no. of money Trent Williams does not come back here. Why? Because Trent Williams' enemy number one wasn't Dan. Uh, I understand that, but Dan and Trent but, Williams but, and but Dan, Dan was not happy. Share, and, but nobody was happy. As you know. Look, I'm going to say it. You don't have to say it. Nobody. Nobody was happy with the way Trent Williams handled that, and they did not like some of the things that he said about the organization because they did not think that they were truthful. Yeah, talent over morals. <laughs> True, but they could have done that. You know, then Ron could have done that. Um, I, I, I don't. I'm, I'm looking at the, the list of tackles. Hold on, let me just see free agent tackles. I mean, I know Trent's the number one. Um, Taylor, you can get you can get Russell Okung. I don't like Russell Okung. Yeah, I know you don't. Villanueva from Pittsburgh's a free agent. Okay. Daryl Williams from Buffalo. All right, so we have come to a conclusion on Sheriff. I'm going to offer him a deal that makes him the highest paid guard in the land. I am not going to tag him if he doesn't accept that offer for just you know, fifteen million or just well, a, hold on an second. offer hold that on makes him the highest paid guard in the game. Okay, then that's why are you going to make him um, the highest paid guard by oh, oh, almost a full million okay, so, dollars a year? Fine, fourteen. Let's, let's 14, offer him seven. one dollar more than the no, not one dollar more. That's not going to do it. Fourteen seven. 50, I bet you his agent is saying this better have a fifteen in front of it. I'm sure his agent's saying whatever his agent wants to say. Yeah. Doesn't mean he's getting it. Um, so over the weekend, a report that, you know, Washington, and I think Kime probably had it first, that they are very interested in Curtis Samuel. Um, there was even a report that mentioned Jamison Crowder in connection with Washington. So I don't think there's any doubt that wide receiver is going to be a target, and I say that because it was last year. You know, and I think Cam Sims as a restricted free agent should be re-signed. <clears throat> I do think that, and I think that they'll they'll do that. But I don't think Cam Sims made them think any differently about how aggressively they pursued a number one in last year's free agent market. So my question to you is, first of all, what do you think of Chris Samuel? 
Curtis, Curtis Samuel. Curtis Samuel, excuse me. I think he's Chris awesome. Samuels. I think he's incredibly versatile. He can do a ton for them. I, I think he he provides kind of that next guy for Terry, where Turner can really create with him. I agree. I, I've always liked Samuel. He's really like Samuel <clears throat> coming out. He is versatile. He's a versatile NFL receiver. Do you know with Joe Brady as the offensive coordinator last year, he had 41 carries. So he had 41 yeah. fly sweep, you know, carries for 200 yards, averaging five a game. He had a big one against Washington, right? Didn't he have a big run against yeah, us? Yeah, he ended up having 77 receptions. It's 77 receptions. He's 24 years old. He's coming into his prime. He's incredibly versatile. I like that. I like that. Yeah, they used him a lot as a running back last year. Yeah, you're, you, I remember him in the backfield all the time. Yeah, right. Um, no, it wasn't a was it a fly sweep? Yeah, there were that a lot he had of the fly. big carry, or was that an actual a run? That's a good question. It may have been a, a quick pitch to him out of the backfield. I'd have to go back and look at that. There were a lot of I fly. I think it was a quick runs. pitch, right? He, he is. He's good with the ball in his hands. That's for sure. Um. You know, I mean, there's some guys in free agent. Kenny Galladay is a free agent. Will Fuller is a free agent. Will Fuller is an absolute no. Not from a talent standpoint. I love his talent. But he's not going to be the guy that they're, they're going to want. First of all, he's I think he still has a game or two left on the suspension. And he's been injured a bunch. They, that w- is absolutely true. You know what's going to guide this offseason? When you start looking at these people, I want your opinions on people and, what, and who you would sign and who you wouldn't, which is what you do and have done every year. But a guiding principle in evaluating what they're going to do is going to be all of the character stuff. All of the character stuff. By the way, Curtis Samuel, I mean, I, I think high character guy. I think Allen Robinson's either going to get tagged by the Bears, and if he doesn't, he's going to pick somewhere else. I think Kenny Galladay could get, uh, could get uh, tagged by the Lions, and if not, he would pick somewhere else. But I do want to give you a guy that I like that is out there and probably for a lot less money. I think Corey Davis came into his own this year in Tennessee. You know, he he was the wasn't he like the fifth pick in the draft? I think um, the year he came out from Western Michigan, and this was his first really good season. This was the breakout year. AJ Brown, it turns out, is a really good player. So like really good. So he's playing opposite Brown. He, they've got some good tight ends, and they obviously have Derrick Henry. But I think Corey Davis is a good player. There were games I watched this year, Tennessee, and I'm like, he's starting to get it. He's a big dude, too. He can catch. <clears throat> you know, um, I, I, and I don't think he's going to be anywhere near the Robinson, Galladay, um, Smith-Schuster money. Do you? Yes. You do? I think he'll be... A bigger money kind of guy than people think. He ended up having almost a thousand yards received. I know he he was his breakout year. Yeah, I think he's going to get big money, which is also why they'll probably tag him. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he stays in Tennessee. Don't they have somebody else they have to tag this year? I I, I we might be forgetting somebody there. Um, I don't think so. God, I had that list up the other day too. The team, the tag list, um, the potential. The tag Tennessee Titans, twenty twenty one free agents. 
Clowney, Humphreys, Daquan, Daquan Jones. They have no one else they'd, they'd franchise tag. By the way, just real quickly. I think I think Corey Davis, they, they'll franchise tag Corey Davis. But, but, they, he's not. Back to Trent Williams. If you're the 49ers, how don't you sign him? If you don't, doesn't that really say something? That, by the if way, they remember they promised not to tag him. If Trent Williams isn't playing in San Francisco next year, what does that say about Trent Williams right now? That either they didn't love him and maybe because the year off or whatever it was, or he wants way too much money. Okay. But you don't think they traded for him last year thinking he'd be there for one year, do you? I think they traded for him thinking that they needed a left tackle because they thought they could get to the Super Bowl. Yeah, well, that's true. Seeing as how they were there the year before, and so they were willing to do the one-year trade yeah, because well, that guy could win him a, help him win a Super Bowl. And what's-his-face retired. Right. <clears throat> What's his face? Long time left tackle. Um, him. Uh, yeah, him. Him. So one last thing, um, which we'll get to right after um, I tell you about my bookie, and that is the Adam Schefter report about Snyder. Um, let me tell you about my bookie. My bookie right now at mybookie.ag, they are offering a um, a chance to – Basically, get half of your deposit matched by them. So if you deposit $1,000, they're going to give you an extra 500 to play with. It's totally worth it, even if you have a place already, to go to my bookie, use my promo code KevinDC, and take advantage of that offer. They're giving away free money to wager with. You can comparison shop on point spreads, etc. It makes a lot of sense to take advantage of that. Um, you know, in the NBA right now, we, we've talked about you know the the uh, prop bets for uh, a lot of the NFL offseason stuff, and I mentioned Bradley Beal and how he's not you know a, a leading candidate for MVP. Right now, I've got the MVP odds up on my bookie. Um, and right now, LeBron James is the favorite at plus 130, and then Joel Embiid's at plus 350. Beal's not even listed on the page of, of guys. You're just not going to get a, a, a guy at 13 and 19 overall team-wise, no matter how many points he's averaging, to be an MVP candidate. But they've got a lot of those prop bets. Um Get in, get involved before March Madness starts. So when you get to the tournament, you can pull up, you know, more that you can pull up my bookie and wager through my bookie. If you've got more than just my bookie, you can start comparison shopping on point spreads so you get the best line. Trust me, you have no idea over the course of time how much a half point matters in a game or paying minus 108 versus minus 110 means over the course of time. You want to get the best price, the best point spread, uh, and you can do that by going to my bookie at mybookie.ag. Use my promo code KevinDC and they'll match your deposit halfway up to a thousand bucks. So Adam Schefter was on the Michael K show in New York. Michael K uh, hosts uh, a radio show in New York. Schefter was a guest on that show. K asked him basically a simple question. Um, Will Snyder still be the owner in Washington? And Schefter said he's got no plans and no intent to sell that franchise ever, closed quote. Um, 
He also said, quote, I think in the NFL rarely are there any absolutes, rarely is everything black and white, but I can tell you that today, even though that there are all of these limited partners putting pressure on him, and even though there are a lot of people that want him to sell, and even though there are a host of issues, unless the NFL steps in and forces him to sell that franchise, which could happen, he's not going to voluntarily step up and sell the team. I feel very comfortable in saying that. Um, this also on the heels of the story last week that several of the people that were um, asked to um, be interviewed for the Beth Wilkinson investigation really want transparency. They want this report to, made be, to be uh, made public, and there's a possibility that it won't be, um, that this Beth Wilkinson investigation, which now we are, when did this thing start? In August? When was the post story was in mid-July? something like August. So we are basically five, six, you know, we're basically entering now month six of the investigation. And there's a chance that, you know, we're not going to get the, um, the, uh, the gist of it. I mean, you would think that the NFL's punishment of the team would give you some indication, but I, I just, on the Schefter thing, which made big news, I did say, and somebody reminded me of this, I did say that I felt that there was a chance that even if there wasn't a true smoking gun, that maybe, you know, the entirety of the family, they've gotten to the point where it is very difficult to own this team. He is the most despised person in this town ever that's not a politician. And I can't imagine it's been easy for them and, uh, I, you know, intuitively I've thought, you know, many times before, and I've asked the question before you and I have discussed this, like how can he actually enjoy owning this team when he is so despised by his customer base and they blame him for everything and that there literally would be a parade if he sold it. And I just wonder how somebody, but I think that this minority owner issue and the smear campaign against him, I think this is why he's dug his heels in. And he's essentially saying, you don't come after me like that. You, you come after me, you know, in any way, but you guys came after me with a bunch of lies. You tried to smear me. You tried to tie me to people like Jeffrey Epstein. How dare you? How dare you? Now there's no chance. No chance I'm leaving this thing. And by unless the way, the NFL, unless the NFL forces him to sell. The yeah, team. but but, you know, I don't know if there's going to I don't know if there's going to be anything there. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if there's more there than was in the post stories. And it wouldn't surprise me if the Post and the New York Times have more stories to come. But are you going to get something that really ties him to an action that the other 31 owners and the commissioner say he's got to go? He, it's a got to go situation. My bet would be no. That would be my bet. My bet would be they won't find anything directly related to the owner that forces him to sell the team. If what they'll end up saying is negligence or trickle-down effect is, is enough to force him to sell the team, then that, that's another story. But my bet would be there won't be anything that directly ties him. To, to being forced to sell the team. The question is, now you asked a couple questions. Why, why would you want to do this being hated as much as you're hated? I don't think they feel it the way you, a normal person would feel it. You I don't mean, think the family feels it? It's a huge, 
I, I think they understand it, but I don't think they look at it on a day-to-day basis and go, oh, my God, everyone hates us. Ah, poor us. I, I, I don't think they sense it that way. Being around them, I, I never felt like they sensed it that way. Now, I do know that they know it exists, but I don't think they sense it in an it overwhelms them type fashion. The, the thing that I would think, Kev, ultimately is the value of the, of, of the Washington football team right now is $4 million. Or excuse me, billion. I would buy it for four. I would buy it for $4 million. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then we do a <laughs> so quick flip job. Yeah. <laughs> you, we'd name it the Sheehan's and we'd move forward. That's where you're wondering, is it worth it knowing you could take $4 billion right now? Well, obviously, what's he going to make out of that, whatever his share is? So $2.some billion. If, if Jeff Bezos offers $5 billion for con- – see, here's the other thing, and you haven't mentioned this, I will. Um, he's not as liquid as people think he is. I, you, you don't- I, I would agree with you. Yeah, so – you know, he can't buy his minority partners out. He's already reached the threshold of being able to finance as much as you can finance as an owner. And I'm not sure that he would have the cash to buy them out anyway. So if he can't finance buying them out and he doesn't have the cash to buy them out, well, then, you know, he's got the right of first refusal on any offers that come in. They may have to stay stuck with their minority interest. But if Bezos, basically, who we already know went to Moog, you know, the guy representing, you know, Shar and Rothman and Fred Smith. And, you know, doesn't mean he'd be interested in buying a minority share. I can't imagine that Bezos is going to buy a minority of anything, um, a minority share of anything. But if Bezos said, uh, how does $5.7 billion sound? Um, you know, you never know. By the way, breaking news, The Athletic is reporting that the team is going to release um, Alex Smith in the coming days. Um, I don't know. I, I'm wondering if that's. I been, saw that. It, I'm wondering if that's like Ben. Half hour ago. Oh, it did half hour ago. I'm wondering if that's Ben who had that. We we talked about it this morning, and I said no. I, I, it was not Ben. Okay. It was. Um, I think it was Rappaport. Yeah. Oh, Rap had it. It's, yeah. It was one of those guys. Yeah. So. Um, I told Ben this morning on the radio show, I think he's gone this week. Um, it just made sense. And Fowler was on with me at the end of last week and said they're going to work this out this week. Um, so Like work it out like he was going to be here? No, no, no. We're gonna, they, they were going to get together and, yeah, you, and resolve yeah, and pretty much together. end this thing. Yeah. Right. So um, so there you go. That's breaking news. Uh, go ahead. I, I mean, here's the thing. Like you, you want to be able to turn it around at this point, and I think you – the goal would be that it would stay in the family. Anyone would feel that way. If you own the team, you'd feel that way and that you'd turn it around. And that maybe even though you went through being the most hated owner, that your son, Jerry could be potentially a beloved owner and that it would stay in the family. It's just, it's tough to do that. Now, as far as Bezos offering $5.7 billion, I think that that gets a little bit scary to a lot of the owners because there, there's not a ton of people, but they're in in the world that can can do that. But then the rest of the owners are voting to say, well, if someone can offer way more than a team's worth, then they can have a team. Well, we might lose our team at some point in the future. Right. I'd be scared if I was an owner to just allow Bezos to offer 
whatever he wants to. Bezos could buy every team in the NFL if he wanted to, if, if it was just up for sale. He's got enough money to buy every team. The four, by the way, that was like Paul Allen, who owned the Seahawks, had enough money to buy every NFL team. Right. So, I think it's worth four million dollars. Billion. I'm really struggling with. They, that. By the way, they fell. It, it, it fell. They fell in ranking in the in the Forbes over the summer. Um, you know, ranking the value, the estimated values of of sports franchises. They're tied. Um, for 14th with the Dodgers at 3.4 billion, the Cowboys are number one at um, 5.5 billion. The Yankees are at 5 billion. The Knicks are at 4.6. The Lakers at 4.4, etc. Um, Real Madrid 4.24 billion. So, you know the it would, the, go, it would sell for more than four billion dollars. Oh yeah, or, sorry, sorry, more than 3.4. It oh would, yeah, it would no, be at least it would no be doubt. between four and four five. Yeah, uh, 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 totally. I think it's I think it's north of four, and I think it could approach five, because it's the NFL, and it's the NFL in a very attractive market, with by the way a sitting there fan base that would be joyous over an ownership change, and a lot of them would be right back in, and a lot of affluence in this market. There's all, uh, the federal government in this market. Just everything about this market. This is why it's so important to the league. This is why Goodell and the other 31 owners they they, they they've been embarrassed. They're, they've been completely embarrassed by Snyder. But at the same time, you know, it's there for the grace of God go I. And you know, we oust him. Now people are going to start rummaging around my garage, my closets. So be careful what you wish for. It's going to have to be something egregious to get him to sell or force him to sell. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm just sitting here thinking if I'm another owner, do I want to continue to set a precedent? If there's something egregious, then sure. And I'm sure the, the rest of the owners are like, maybe there's enough. But if it's not something egregious, then they're setting a precedent that would force – somebody to sell a team for maybe not the right reasons, which could end up hurting them in the future. Joe Staley was the uh, tackle's name we were trying to come up with, <clears throat> the longtime tackle in San Francisco. Um, all right, so Alex Smith, the news broke. Uh, we got to it at the end of the show. I'm not going to go back and edit it to the beginning of the show. I think most of you saw this coming. You know, it's it's news. Um and yeah, but is it news to us? Because I think no, we, we I think know. this was our guess for a while, and I think it's the right thing for the team to do. Um, the I only really news do. would have been if they would have kept him. <laughs> yeah, that would have been the the major. That would news. have been the news. I bet he ends up in Chicago. I was thinking about it, Jacksonville or Chicago. You know, he came out and said because over the weekend or today or whatever it was, like I still want to play. It's a conversation I got to have with my wife. Um, she should have a lot of input in this. I think he plays. I think he tries to play. Someone will sign him. It'll be Nagy or Urban or one of the guys he's worked with. Yeah, I mean, if you're Chicago, if you end up starting Alex Smith, <laughs> you're not – it's not the step that you need to take. I mean, but if you keep Nick Foles and Alex – I don't know. I think it's Urban Meyer as a backup and mentor to Trevor Lawrence. But then again, if he wants to play, why would he go to Jacksonville where he's not going to play? Exactly. Um, so, look. No, I mean, I think I think he'll end up having a chance to play. He'll go somewhere where he has a chance to play. And don't think if he if he if he ends up having a few good games, don't think we should have had Alex Smith. The cap number for Alex Smith is insanity. No, 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 so, no. Of course, no. I mean, you could let him go to free agency and then pay him four million dollars a year as a backup. 
you know, got to release him. One last thought on Alex Smith. I, I never really felt in watching him before the injury and after that they had, you know, a Super Bowl contending quarterback. He didn't play at that level. His numbers, you know, if you want to go through all of what he was statistically, it was very, very pedestrian. Um, I mean, less than pedestrian. But clearly there was something there with Alex Smith on this team in 2018 and certainly this year. Um, And it's all the intangible stuff, and it's the stuff that people close to the situation understand much more than we do. You you understand it, I'm sure, having been, uh, you know, close to it a little bit in 2018 and getting to know Alex a little bit. Clearly he impacted and influenced the season that they had. You know, I thought he did play really well in that Detroit game in particular. I thought he was outstanding in that game. I thought he was pretty good at times in the Giant game when he came in. You know, I thought he was good on Thanksgiving Day. He had a great second half against the Steelers in that win. You know, bottom line is they they were playing teams that weren't very good, that didn't have great quarterback situations where they didn't have to score a lot of points because their defense had improved so much. Um, But he, like, I'm going to remember, I'm going to remember this year much more than 2018 because I personally think 2018 felt like a house of cards. In the moment, I felt that way. Maybe after seeing his influence on the team this year, maybe it wouldn't have been a house of cards in 2018. Maybe they would have gone to 9-7 and seven and gone to the playoffs and lost a game. But that's essentially what he's been during the course of his career. You know, he's been good enough as a game manager, as a leader, to get you to, you know, to the playoffs, but he's never been more than that. The goal should be to eventually have a team that can, can contend that can actually contend for a Super Bowl. And Alex was never going to be that. He wasn't going to be that in 2018, and he wasn't going to be that moving forward from here. But still, what a memorable story he provided us. You know, there haven't been many of them over the years, but a lot of respect for the incredible comeback um, and really the way he played at times this year and the way he led, you know, during a weird year, during a year in which – you know, there was an opportunity and a lot of change. Um, I, I I bet wherever he goes, it will be an incredible positive experience for that team, whether it's on the field or off it. I, I totally agree. He'll help someone. So anyway, if he wants, if he wants to go and still be a part of ball, and my recommendation would be after watching him essentially know that he's not going to kill himself on the football field it would be go play you can see that he wants to it's clear that he feels like there's still something there if he didn't he'd miss it that's <laughs> go play that's what i'd do anything else from you i'm good okay did i get personal with your career earnings no because you can look it up i know no you can look up what i made in my football career so it's never been personal. It's it, never, it would be never much more weird. personal if I said, how much do you have left? <laughs> but I know you well enough to know that you got a lot of it left because you do everything yourself. You don't pay anything anybody to do anything. There he is in the electrical closet risking life and limb, uh, and yet you figure it out. I give you a lot of props on that. Just know that my only job is um, a 
two day a week podcast on <laughs> a show that doesn't even have my name on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we might change that at some point. All right. Uh, thanks. I'll talk <laughs> to you right. on Friday. And Cooley will start getting ready for free agency. Back tomorrow with Tommy. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.